Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Today, we are recording episode 137. It is June 23rd as I record this, and this will be the last sort of intro that isn't pre-recorded, I guess. And yet my interview today with C.S. Lakin is quite long, so I'm going to keep this very short. I just want to pop in and remind you, if you like the show, please share it with anyone that you think would enjoy it as well. Please subscribe. And I would love it if you would review the show on whatever app that you listen to it. I am about to leave this week when the show comes out. I'm going to leave for Spain. That takes, you know, about a day to get over there just with time difference and all that. And July, the show will continue, but part one will be pre-recorded. And so I am working, trying to get the first draft of, I think it might be called Outside the Ring. I'm trying to get the first draft done so that I can put it away, more or less finished, you know, put it away for a month and come back with fresh eyes and be able to pick it up and know that I don't have to finish it, but that I need to get back and edit it, you know, get into the revision because... I think there's always revision. I know there are writers out there that don't don't revise, and I find that pretty amazing. I have not been able to do that yet. And honestly, this book has given me enough trouble that I'm going to need to revise it. But I think that my month away will allow me to just sort of think about it and, yeah, come back with fresh eyes. So I will be spending some time researching for my historical romance book that that I'll start working on in August, you know, I I can't just do revision. (laughs) I need to write as well. So um, that will be a sort of simultaneous project. If you want to see my travels and sort of where the book is going to take place, Doser's book, um, the historical romance will be partly in Spain. And so you can follow me at catcaldwell.author on Instagram. You can also follow the show's Instagram That's pencils and lipstick all spelled out on Instagram. And I will be posting photos of Spain there and sharing about my time. So today we're just going to go straight into the interview because Susan just has a ton of information to give us. She is a never ending well of storytelling information and writing information. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So stay tuned. The interview is coming and please be aware that in July, there will be episodes coming straight into your inbox. And if you subscribe to the show, they should download automatically. But I hope that you guys all have a wonderful July, a wonderful 4th of July. I won't be here for that, but I hope that your summers go well. And I will talk to you guys again personally in August.
My guest today is C.S. Lakin. She is a novelist with over 30 books published. She was a copy editor. She is now a writing coach. She is a course creator for everything, I think, that has to do with writing. She has a lot of information for writers over at her site, livewritethrive.com. From you know the strategic planning for writers to secrets to selling on Amazon to self-publishing to what a book needs in order to be a good bestseller, um, she has some wonderful courses that I looked at and went through, and I can highly recommend them, especially the emotional mastery course and the ten key scenes of novel structure. She gives a lot of information in them and. I think they are very well priced and very interesting to go through. So I, I would highly recommend you guys find those. And you can find those again at livewritethrive.com. Now let's get into the interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pencils and Lipstick. Today I have with me C.S. Lakin. Um, I'll be calling her Suzanne just to make it a little bit easier. Hi, Suzanne. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on the show. Of course. I'm excited to have you on. You have a lot of experience both in writing and helping writers. So I'm excited for our conversation. Um, before we get started, do you want to let everyone know just a little bit about yourself, where you're from and who you are? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm a human being, uh, planet Earth, and uh, I live in uh, this strange land called California. Um, that a lot of people think is strange, um, Bay Area. And I grew up in California uh, with uh, a mother who is a screenwriter and she also wrote novels. And my brother became a, also a screenwriter, producer for TV. So I was kind of raised in the writing uh, environment and I'll, you know grew up reading lots of books and scripts and things. And so, yeah, I just have a whole history of writing and I've written, I guess about, oh, I can't even keep track of stuff, maybe 20 something novels, uh, at least 10 nonfiction books on craft and other topics. Uh, and yeah, I've been working as an editor, copy editor for about, uh, let's say 17 years. I think I can't even, I don't oh, know wow. where the time went. And I got into editing because I, I wanted to try to find a way to make a living while trying to write books and yes. hoping that I would have <laughs> the big breakout bestseller and make a four, you know, like everybody else. Uh, wanting to make a lot of money off of my writing. So right. that got me kind of into a related field, um, which also started me into writing, uh, sorry, coaching and, um, uh, editing, you know, do, with uh, novelists and nonfiction writers with their books, uh, you know, and coaching. Right. So right. Um, yeah, I love what I do and it's really fun. So you are like one of the few writers that wasn't probably told to get a real job that writing was an actual viable job. Is that <laughs> is that fair to say? Well, I don't know. I I, I can't really say that I've ever made like uh, a full living off my writing. I mean, there's been many months where I've made you know plenty enough money to pay my bills off my book sales, but that's not always very consistent, of course. And even that's true. You know, real su super successful writers will say the same thing. I mean, you could look up a you could look up a bestseller that was like hitting the charts last year, and then you could look at it this year, and you could see like there's like five. It's like you know way on the bottom of the of the sales. 
you know, uh, rankings like on Amazon or something, because, you know, things just have their, their season, you know, of like selling big and then sort of petering out until another big book comes along. Right. So, um, yeah, but writing has been, uh, great for me. And even though I was just thinking even this morning, like how stupid I was to like do my career the way I did it, because now I, you know, in hindsight, I can look back and say, oh, I should have branded myself stuck with one genre and really, um, went for the whole homogenous, you know, who am I? I am this genre and this is what I write. But I always wrote books that I loved that every book was so different. So like all my novels, uh, aside from a two series that I did, a fantasy series and a um, historical Western romance series, they're all very standalone and unrelated to the other books I've written in terms of genre. So um, I'm just really eclectic. I've always been a believer in writing what you want to write. Like if there's a story you want to tell, you write it in the genre that it needs to be told. And sometimes that's not a popular genre or it's not the same thing you wrote before. And that's always, you know, I've always been told that's bad marketing and bad way to try to put a career together when you're just all over the map. But I I don't think (laughs) I would, I don't know if I'd ever, I would do it differently if I did it again, because I love every single book that I've ever written and I would never want to get to the end of my life and not have written the books that I wanted to write just because somebody said, well, you shouldn't write fantasy because you're writing psychological suspense. Right. I think that's a really good point to make though. It's like, what, what regrets would we, or not, would we have or not have at the end of our lives? And you're like, if you, if those are the books that are inside of you, I don't know how, how you say no to that. You know, how do you like push them aside or like, no, I can only write romance. I can only write historical fiction. And a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people are, they're concerned about making a living. And there's a lot of people out there that write certain books, especially like romance. They don't really particularly like it. They don't really want to write it, uh, but they, they very good at it and very successful at it. And it supports their family or kids. And Hey, there's the drive buses and there's people that do janitorial work and, you know, even teaching or whatever. And they may not really like their job, but it provides a living. So writing, you know, sometimes is no different. Um, We all seem to think if we're creative, we should never compromise our creativity and our being the, the artists that we see ourselves as. And the problem with that is that we, you know, we tend to get kind of snooty about like, you know, what we're, we're willing to do for the craft in the craft, you know, and, and look down on people who maybe don't write, you know, beautiful masterpieces like we do, maybe, they're yeah. just, you know, hacking it out, you know, just trying to like pay the bill. Yeah, I think like um, some of our literary lists or something, um, you know, there's a reader for everything for sure. And whatever story is inside of you, like there's a reader out there for it. But like you said, it can make marketing a little difficult. Like, Did you go traditionally published or did you go self-published? I have um, nine novels traditionally published by three different publishers. Well, actually, yeah, nine novels. Three different publishers. I also have one nonfiction book that was traditionally published by a publisher. So, um, but the rest of my nonfiction I have self-published. Right. So I've done both. Yeah. And right now, like I just finished writing my psychological suspense, um, Lightning Man, which is a supernatural uh, story. And I'm just right now at that beginning stage trying to get an agent. Um, I probably could have contacted the agent I had before who loves me and would sell anything I gave her, but. I don't feel like she would be the right person for this. So I'm kind of starting fresh mm-hmm. all over. And, you know, it's just hurry up and wait. Frustrating. You know, it's so easy to just finish writing a book, pop it up on online, 
a half an hour after you're done getting all your stuff ready and it's all edited and you got your cover and your description copy and everything's ready to go and become a bestseller in one day, which I've done many, <laughs> many times. It is so, it's so tempting because I want people so badly to read this book. I think it's a fantastic yeah. book. I'm really excited about it, but I really want to get like that six figure advance and I want to get a movie uh, deal. Right. And um, I've got somebody that might be ready to raise. But to go that route, I have to be patient, but the average time it takes to get an agent and then get agent sell your book and then have the book put in queue and then finally through editorial and then pub date is eight years. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, for folks like me who are uh, getting older, we can't wait that long. <laughs> that, is, that feels like a long time. There's exceptions, of course, where, you know, I've, I know people personally who pitched to an agent and got an agent right away. And within a week, that agent sold that book. Uh, because it was hot and they thought it, you know, was the, you know, I'm hoping that will happen with me that an agent will read my book and go, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I know just the publisher and, and then get it to them and they read it overnight and they offer me that big deal. I'm, you know, that's what I'm hoping for, but I'm, I'm sure going to sit here, you know, it's like staring at the staring at my email program, waiting for that email to come through. I've got other things to do, you know, and I got to just keep going. Right, right. Do you ever feel tempted to like go back and fiddle with the the book or do you really leave it alone? Like it's done and you leave it alone and you just have to sit on your hands and wait for that agent to come. You know, I don't. uh, Yeah. So after having written so many novels and also worked on thousands of manuscripts and other people's novels and editing and critiquing, I, um, I think I have a good sense of knowing when to stop and I'm fine with that. Like I, I go, like I've gone through random chapters, which is a great way to do it. Don't go back through your manuscript with page one, just pick a chapter somewhere in the middle and just read it and, and just read it by itself. Read it fresh. Actually, Donald Moss says, you know, print it out throw the pages in the air and read them all out of order because then you start seeing things that you, that you might not have paid attention to, but um, but there's a whole revision technique that I'm that I push that nobody else teaches, and I feel it's super important and useful. And I basically tried it out on 200 plus people last year, and it was fantastic. So um, I I will go back in and look for specific things, like if I'm just looking for sensory detail, and this is the type of targeted revision that I teach in my eight week course, like the eight elements that you need to know to have a commercially successful novel. For instance, one of them is the 21 senses. So once you learn what the 21 senses are, because there's 21, not five, then you can go through your, your scene and look for sensory detail. And you can think about what is my character feeling in this moment? What are they sensing in this moment when they change from one locale to another? They go outside a building when you want to slow time down. So like if you're looking for a specific element in your revision, then you'll really accomplish a lot. Otherwise, if you're just reading the scene through and going, oh yeah, maybe I'll fix this one word in the dialogue because it's a little clunky, you know, that doesn't accomplish what you needed to accomplish. So um, yeah, so I'll go through um, when I'm, when I have a manuscript like this, that's sort of sitting and waiting. I always do, even if I self-publish, I always let my manuscript sit for a month or so. Uh, and then I go back to it because everything just hits you really fresh. Um, read it out loud, have your computer read it out loud to you, things like that. But I definitely go through and look for specific things. 
Like if I'm just working on dialogue, I will just look at the dialogue and see if I can tighten it up, give it more subtext, add the narrative tags that reveal something about my character that is visual, but not coming right out and saying what I want to say. So, you know, things like that. So you, you mentioned that you have edited and you've critiqued and you have a lot of experience doing that. Did, and you started that because, as you said, like a lot of us have to have something on the side to, to support ourselves as our books go up and down. So did you sort of learn all of this to create this course through that? Or did, did you have other education as well? Or talk us through like how you got to this point where 200 people are going through your course just as betas and having great success at it. Yeah, so I got into editing back in 2005. I went to a conference and I met somebody who was an editor and she told me she didn't have a degree, but she made tons more money than her husband who had two engineering degrees. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that's me. Uh, because I had I just only finished my undergraduate degree last year after 46 years of starting college way back in 1975. So that dates me. So I, I wanted to try to find a way to make a living. And I knew I was pretty good at editing. And I liked English composition and grammar. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of those weird people that like whenever I go to a restaurant, I have to start pulling out the pen and correcting the <laughs> menu because they always use the possessive, at, uh, you know, drives me crazy, you know. Um, like we have donuts and it's apostrophe S I'm like, really, (laughs) you know, anyway, uh, I get crazy about that stuff. So I was a perfect candidate for editing. And I actually, on my online course, I have a great, uh, course. The only course I have offered is like how to make a great living as an editor. And really that was my experience within like a year I was making more money than my husband. But all that to say is that, yeah, I had to do a lot of learning. I mean, I took a whole bunch of online editing courses. I, I bought like 50 books on editing the best books that are recommended. Um, I studied like Garner's English, American English, which is like a 2000 page book. Um, Studied this Chicago manual style backwards and forwards. So yeah, I mean, just like to learn any craft or to get skilled at anything you need to study, whether you're trying to learn how to write a novel or you want to learn to be an editor. So I started, you know, down that track and doing editing. And then the more I edited manuscripts, the just how little writers really understood about story structure mm-hmm. and novel structure. And I felt like I was cheating these people by charging them a ton of money to fix and their syntax and their story sucked. Oh no. Um, and the, you know, so they didn't really understand about premise and about, um, you know, the five turning points and the 10 key scenes and all these different things that make up basic story structure. And um, you just can't have a good novel unless you understand story structure. Yeah. So I started getting more into doing critiques instead of, I mean, I still do editing and proofreading. I'm proofing a client's work today, but, um, but it, but all my focus is on critiquing because it's like putting beautiful icing on a yucky tasting cake, you know, going in there and fixing all the little, you know, pieces of punctuation and making the sentence just read so beautiful, but the whole story structure doesn't hold like, you know, the story sags and there's no really interesting concept. The characters are flat. I mean, all that stuff. So you just really have to take the time and learn the craft because it's a genre. Just like if you're going to write a letter, there's a genre, letter writing genre. If you're going to write a Yelp uh, review, that's a genre. You know, every everything that's related to writing and, 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 not, and not just writing, but in other fields, you know, has a particular genre. If you're going to write slam poetry, it's sure going to come out a whole lot differently than if you're going to write, you know, romantic poetry, right? right? So people need to understand that they've got to learn the genre. So, And how, how is it, because like, we were talking before about the difference between critique and 
I I completely agree with you. I've been on this sort of, if anyone's been listening to the podcast for a while, on this crusade of learning um, storytelling and talking about storytelling and story structure because I've come across so many books, especially indie published books, in which, like you said, they don't hold up to the story structure. And um, I don't have the experience to be able to say, like, this is exactly what they need. You know, I, I can't critique their book, but all of the reviews, you know, sort of tell them this. And I don't think the writers really know why they're getting bad reviews. You know, they that there is no grammar problems and there's no, you know, like, and here's the story. And maybe it's so close to them that they think it's a really full and engaging story. I also think like a lot of them don't want to hear that, <laughs> that a story, a book can take longer than six weeks to write. You know, I think we kind of sell them this bill of goods of if you get this course, you'll write your book in six weeks and publish it. Oh yeah. that's Yeah. Great. And you know, so there's, so how has it been with um, telling writers that like, here's a service that I, I show you and it, and it's kind of about telling you, Hey, this, all this stuff needs to be fixed, not just dot your I's and cross your T's. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head because really the problem is that um, fiction writers, um, most of them have never been told there is such a thing as story structure. Right. And that uh, for novels especially, there is an expected story structure. And then that's even tweaked more to genre. And um, I talk about that a lot in my course because people don't understand that they need to go through their genre and study it and study the markers of that genre. You know, there every genre has reader expectations. And so you have these two components. You have the story structure, the basic story structure that can fit pretty much any genre, which is like a frame up of mm -hmm. a house. And then you have the genre structure, which is like, what style are you going to make the house? Like I can start with, I can make three houses that have the exact same blueprint, footprint and structure, walls, roof, everything. But then once I start putting on the final details, like all the interior and the siding, and what type of roofing, what type of windows and window dressing and flooring, all of a sudden I have three amazingly different houses. Mm -hmm. So that's what writers are really never told about that story structure. They're like all about, oh, I've got these great characters and I'm going to tell this really cool story about these two people that, you know, fall in love on a deserted island. Okay, great. Well, that's the situation. Right. That's not really a story. And then uh, oftentimes there's a huge problem with characters and that they, they are so, uh, it's, they so easily fall into tropes and stereotypes. And it does take a measure of experience and sophistication and really studying masterful writers to get how to write very complex, very conflicted characters, mm. because that's what readers want. And that's what we want as readers, like whether we're watching a really cool you know, show on TV or a TV series like um, Little Fires Everywhere or Cruel Summer or something. You just, like look at some of these miniseries and they're just so rich in the character development and the complexity of the characters and the, the flaws and the struggle and the conflict inside and outside. That's what makes rich stories. And so often 
writers, especially beginning writers, are so worried about the plot and so caught up with like making sure, okay, in this scene, George is going to meet Mary and they're going to have an argument. And then the next scene, she's going to go out on a date with Bill and make him jealous. Okay, whatever. You know, and that's all fine. And it could be brilliant and it could be gripping and riveting if your characters are super complex and very believable, right. you know, and, and all full of flaws and vulnerability and uh, wounds and all these different things. So, and again, a lot of this is just takes time and maturity and practice writing. I think, you know, I started hitting my stride at about my fifth novel where I finally felt like I was kind of was getting like how to mm. do this and how to really get into my characters and, and live through them and, and show that, you know, that inner conflict and the moral dilemmas that they were dealing with and bringing those out in the story. And it's the same thing with writing dialogue. Dialogue is very, uh, it's very difficult. A lot of agents will tell you that the first thing they look at when they get a submission from uh, a writer is they flip through the pages until they find dialogue and then they read the dialogue. And if it's good, they'll, they'll read the whole thing. Oh, interesting. But that's their, that's their, that's their touchstone. That's how they test whether they think they're even worth giving the writer five minutes of their time. They're going to look at the dialogue. So again, a lot of this just takes experience. Um, I see a lot of really awful dialogue and I understand that. I understand because it's really, really hard to write dialogue well. So I think it is like the pinnacle of mastery when you read a book and the dialogue is just beautiful. It just, it it tells you so much more than just the words. And so there's just a lot to the writing craft. There's just a lot. So it's really, it's really important for writers to realize it's going to take them years of practice and application and study and analysis and going to workshops, working with a writing coach, being in critique groups, whatever, to really get there. But you can make much faster progress if you hire somebody like me, a writing coach, to actually go through your stuff and point out all the things you don't know or that are weak because... You can be in a critique group for years, but if the people in the critique group don't really have the expertise and the experience and the knowledge to be able to help right. you identify what you need to work right. on, what's not working, you're not going to make progress. And I, I really feel like writers can make really fast progress if they get the yeah. right help. And I, that's what I wanted. I floundered for years and years and years and years. And I didn't know why. I mean, I got an agent right off the bat with my first novel. And he was sure that he would sell it in a minute. He was Elmore Leonard's agent, his first agent I ever queried. My first novel, I thought, oh, I'm on, you know, I'm on the road mm-hmm. to success. He never sold that book. It's, I've never published it either. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> um, but, and the reason is because I didn't know anything about story structures. So the book was mostly narrative. It was all telling and not okay. showing. And, and then, of course, that was more than 30 years ago. And novels today are all cinematic, except for the occasional literary work that like All the Light We Cannot See or Goldfinch right. or something that wins a Pulitzer that's 5,000 pages of yeah. narrative that's, I think, utterly boring. But some people obviously yeah, love it. But some people, I mean, and I could, I like one of those books and not the other. It it really, you're, you're limiting your audience, I guess, when you do that, because it, it either grips you right away or not. In one of those books, I was like, nah, <laughs> like from the first page, I was like, I don't understand this. And that's why you can have so many, you know, a, a large disparity between people who love it and people who don't. But um, I want to ask you about dialogue because I find it interesting that you say dialogue is hard. I come across a lot of writers who say that to them, dialogue's very easy. And then I read their dialogue. And... <laughs> 
and I can't tell the difference between who's talking except for reading the dialogue tags. And I have, I, I, as a younger writer, I loved dialogue. I would, I loved writing it, but it's later, (laughs) it's now in my later years as I'm really focusing more on, okay, they're they're starting to sound the same, which means I'm writing a scene that I don't really know what I want to have happen. I'm just sort of like floundering in the scene, you know, and so I'm going to need to. I think it's more that if that's the case, it's more that you don't know your characters well enough or you haven't really spent time with them. Um, One thing that I think is really good when you're first, you know, working on your ideas for your book, you should spend a lot of time on your characters. They have to become very, very, very real to you and they need to be very unique and, you know, please don't just cut out pictures of Brad and Angel- Angelina and, and you know, put them on your wall and say, oh, those are my characters because you're going to make them sound, you know, just like Brad and Angelina. Um, you know, you want your characters to be fully fleshed mm-hmm. out. And there's lots of way to, ways to do that. I mean, like I have like a, a character development sheet, a questionnaire that's pages and pages of things you can ask your characters. But for me, the, the thing that, that I do is I just... I'll just take like one day with one character Mm -hmm. and I'll just spend that day with that character when I'm thinking of like, you know, who is Ruben? Like, what is, what is, where, where is he coming from? What, what is his, what is his wound? What is the thing that he fears most? What is his core need? What, what is his personality like, you know? And I'll just keep working and working on that until I really get this character down. And I really understand his motivation and what he's afraid of, and what his secret is. And at some point, it just feels like it clicks. Doesn't mean like I know every single thing about the character, or, you know, I have a perfect voice mm-hmm. for him. But if you if you get enough depth into that character, and you just then do some free writing, like just write three, four, five pages, I think it's really good. I mean, you could do it on your computer. Sometimes writing longhand is really helpful. But um, just do first person in that character's point of view and let him just start talking. Mm. And it just becomes this sort of a gestalt thing that happens in your brain. Um, You can either imagine your character in a certain situation, like he's sitting in the room with his parents and he's telling his parents he's going to move out and he can't take being in this family anymore. Okay, so now I'm just going to let him talk. Why is he feeling this way? How comfortable does he feel to speak up? Uh, What is he afraid of? How does he treat his family? You know, I mean, whatever situation that you want to come up with that pertains to the story you're telling, you know, pick a scene in the book like that later on you're going to have in your book, like a big moment where your character is going to have a falling out with his best friend and over some something and just write about it. And then it's amazing what your subconscious will do. It will bring out all kinds of things like tones and intonation and certain types of speech and syntax. And all of a sudden your character is starting to sound like a real person. And it's so important that it's not just the dialogue that reflects your character's voice, but when you're in deep point of view, um, which you should be in, regardless of whether you have one character or I've had novels with 14 point of view characters, whether you're doing first person, whether you're doing third person, every single character has to have a unique voice. Like you said, I should be able to flip open in the middle of any book that I've read. And then I know the characters, I should be able to just flip to a page and know exactly whose point of view I'm in, because it's not just the dialogue, but every word of the entire scene has to sound like the character is talking and talking to you or to himself or thinking to himself. 
And that better sound different for every single character. It's, it's much easier for your beginning writer just to stick with one character's point of view. And the novel I just wrote, which is like my 20 millionth novel, I don't know, is all third person, one point of view, the entire right. book. I did not want to go into different points of view, although I do have letters by one of the terrorists because I wanted to do some first person insights into why my terrorist was blowing up Seattle. Oh. Uh, so. Um, so I chose that type of to use to have like a second point of view right. in the book. But yeah, so it is challenging. If you're going to have two different points, they better not really, really different. Right. Really different. Yeah. And, but even, um, even very, with a one, one person point of view, other people are going to be talking and you definitely, I think what a lot of us do uh, if we're beginner writers is we might develop the, the, the point of view person, the main character, the protagonist, and not develop the side character. So do you, do you do the same for your right. side characters? Do you spend a day with them? All okay. of them. Oh, yeah, all of them. Yeah. I mean, I try to, yeah. I mean, you want every single person, I mean, unless they're an incidental character that just happens to be like the guy at the bank when, when the robber's holding them up and says, get me the money, yeah. you know? Uh, sorry, I write Western, <laughs> so I think about those things. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you don't need to develop that character necessarily, but sometimes even adding a little bit of character flair to that character is just going to enrich your story even right. more. But yeah, you really, really got to work on the characters. It's so important because to me, I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I'm not, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but to me, characters are everything. Yeah. I mean, you could have a novel with like almost no plot. You could just have like a bunch of characters stuck in an elevator for the entire novel. And if your characters are fascinating, you could make that an absolutely riveting novel. On the contrary, if you have the most amazing plot in the world, that is just incredible story, like the Hunger Games or something, you have a great premise, high concept. And then you have a bunch of really flat, stereotype, boring characters. Your book is ruined and you will not save it by your wonderful concept. That's true. And I, I do think that part of the problem is that people are so plot driven, like you said, that they're almost afraid to spend time developing their characters in case their characters don't follow the plot points that they have in their head. <laughs> <laughs> this is my theory. <laughs> it's like... You them get out the way <laughs> yeah. yes and it, i mean and, and it's interesting the more you write the more you realize you can start out with a concept for a novel and as you develop your characters it can become something really quite different from where you started and as a beginner writer I, i'm not sure you would know that if you don't fully develop your characters you're more trying to force somebody into this plot or or really it turns out to be like any character any person could have walked this plot out and you're like okay <laughs> whatever yeah and um, it's just um really reading great books so i did mm. i did a series which i sometimes pop back into uh, and add more uh, to but on my blog, Live, Write, Thrive, I did a series called Masterful, whatever. So um, like I have five or so blog posts on masterful character mm. description and masterful setting description and masterful dialogue and masterful, I don't remember what else. Anyway, um, but just like the masterful um, character description, I give a whole bunch of little short passages from different books and different genres showing why this is so masterful. Like James Lee Burke is just, he's the greatest for being able to describe characters in point of view. In other words, he's got a point of view character. Usually his 
protagonist is first person and his when his character meets other characters or sees other characters the things that he that goes on in his character's mind to describe what he sees what he notices it's just brilliant hmm. you know I, we don't we're not always brilliant as human beings. Like when we meet somebody, we'll look at someone and go, oh, their hair looks funny. <laughs> you know? I mean, and maybe maybe you have a character that all she does is look at people's hair because she wants to be a hairdresser. And so every character she notices is their hair. And that's appropriate. Just like the devil wears Prada. Right. Everything is about clothes and fashion and whatever. So it just has to be in point of view. So if, you, if you're writing something that's sort of, you know, brilliant, literary, like James Lee Burke, where he's just, he's just, you know, like considered the greatest American writer of the 20th century. And I'm reading, I read a lot of his Montana Western, you know, his whole characters are all like Texas Rangers or, you know, whatever. And so there's just this feel of Americana Wild West kind of feel to them. But so his character is going to describe what he sees when he sees setting and when he sees character based on who he mm. is. And this is the thing that a lot of writers don't understand is that when you describe setting or you describe other characters, it should be telling your reader more about the point of view character and how they see things, how they feel, their personality, what their beliefs are, their opinions, their, their attitudes, than the thing that they're describing. Yes. So like if I describe you coming into a room, let's say I'm talking to my husband and you come into a room and I describe you, I'm not really telling my husband about you. I'm revealing me. I'm revealing what my attitude is and what I notice to my husband. And if I'm talking about how you're some, you know, look at that floozy coming in here and she's blah, 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 blah. And I'm just mouthing off about some girl that comes into a room or a restaurant or whatever, I mean, it's telling a lot about right. me and what my problem yes. is and my attitude, you know, and everybody that sees that girl coming in is going to describe her differently or see her differently, depending on who yes, they are. Yes, that is such a good point. I think that as you say this, I think I'm thinking a lot of writers describe each character from their own writerly point of view and not from the protagonist's yep. point of view. Exactly. And that's a yeah, problem exactly. because then it makes your protagonist like this all-knowing kind of <laughs> yeah overly goody because they're never showing their their bad side you know like you said like if i'm in a bad mood and somebody does something i'm probably going to snark off to my husband you know he sees the worst side of me yeah. um and then somebody's yeah. going to come up and i'm going to smile real big and hi well it's so nice to see you <laughs> you know so yeah. you know like you said it, but but if I'm a writer and I'm trying to describe everyone from my writerly point of view, I'm probably never going to let that side slip of the protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it really, it's really about deep point of view. And that's something I teach okay. a lot about because today's books and today's readers want to really be inside the character and be in deep point of view. I mean, there's exceptions like Cormac McCarthy, like his border trilogy, all the pretty horses, that kind of stuff. Um, Very, very distant point of view. Like you're watching from far away and you have no idea what this person's thinking. You're just like seeing it cinematically, Mm -hmm. like with a camera. But most of what we read, especially YA is very intimate that's why you see a lot of YAs all always um, first person, oftentimes present tense, because present tense is very intimate and it's very difficult to write well. And it's not very effective in many genres. 
you know, even you can take a book like Presumed Innocent, which was Scott Turow's breakout novel, I don't know, 30 years ago. And he wrote that in present tense. And that was weird. It's a fantastic novel. Talk about character portrayal. He does great characters. He's a fantastic writer. He's a great legal thriller, great plot, great twist. A lot of people probably saw the movie. The book is brilliant. But very few people remember that that book was written in present tense. Yeah. And um, it worked amazingly, but not a lot of books will work in present tense. Hunger Games is present tense and first person. And that's very common for YA because YA readers really want to have that intimacy. Yeah. And I I talked a couple podcasts back about th- there's a danger in that too, where it's like constant in that person's head, all their thoughts all yep. the time. And yep. I, I yep. put a book away and was like, I don't care about the $5. Can't take I, can't. I want her to shut up. Yeah. Like, I just can't take yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a risk, right? Because if you, if you create a character that's not very pleasant and you're in their head all the time, that's a problem. Um, I was just thinking about Gone Girl, which has this whole second section of the book is her diary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sorry, there, you have bits of the diary, but then in the second section, you get to pull back out of the diary and you get to hear her talking and thinking it's creepy and and it's intense, but you certainly wouldn't want to have the whole entire book like that because you would you would like yes. crazy. Yes, because <laughs> she's so psychopathic. <laughs> you know, yeah, really interesting book. Very interesting book. Weird structure. It's doesn't. It's a weird structure. I would never tell people to write in that that structure, but it you know it's it's very effective. You know, in a very creepy weird way. Right. Right. Uh, so, how did you? as you're critiquing people, how did you come to make this course? What's the name of the course that you, you have coming out? Well, it's already out. I do have lots of mm-hmm. courses on my online school. It's, it's at cslaken.teachable.com. This course that I did last year with more than 200 students, writers, it was, um, I did it with critique groups. So uh, as people were taking the course, they were also in critique groups and they were applying immediately what they were learning and critiquing one another's work. Okay. That was really super helpful for them. And it's called Eight Weeks to Writing a Commercially best, a commercially Successful okay. Model. Now it's a course that you can just take on your own. You don't have to have a critique group and, and it's not live. You know, I did it all live last year, eight weeks. I will be doing that again this fall for those that okay. want to do it with a critique group. But the whole idea is that in order to write a really great novel, you need to have these components in every one of your scenes and you need to have micro tension on every page and you need to be in deep point of view and you need to have really rich sensory detail and you need to manipulate your reader's emotions and you need to have conflict and all these different things. High moment character change is a big one. A lot of writers don't even understand that your character has to change by the end of every single scene in a significant way. If you don't know that and you don't do that, your novel's going to be flat. Mm-hmm. And that might be like the one key thing that your listeners take home with you from this whole podcast or this whole interview is that you have to have your character changed by the end of the scene. They probably have never even heard that. But if you study great novels, you will see that every scene, what happens in the scene affects your character in some significant way and changes them. And it's not just about the plot moving forward. It's about the character's reaction and processing of the things that happen and how that changes them. So do people come into the course with a novel already sort of written, like the first draft, or do they start writing it 
once the course starts? Oh, well, the course can be for anybody. I mean, you could just be starting to think about writing a novel or you can have written 17 novels, you know, or whatever level you're at and whatever stage you're at in your current work, it doesn't matter. You need to learn these things. You need to know how to manipulate your reader's emotions, whether you're writing your very first scene or your 20 millionth scene. If you don't know how to do that, you know, you're going to fail because readers read to care. And if you don't make them care or feel something, you fail. So uh, I have a whole course on emotional mastery, which is probably my most popular course. I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and I don't know how many people have taken that course, but I wrote it because there really is very little out there for writers to learn how to show emotion effectively Mm -hmm. in characters. Like what are the three ways to show emotion? What are the three ways your character notices emotions? And then also how to manipulate your readers so that you make them feel a certain way that you want them to feel, even if the characters are feeling something different. So those are really important issues that I think a lot of writers don't even think about. You know, they just think, well, I want to, in this scene, I'm just going to have George and Mary have a fight. Well, you know, that's fine. But what are you, what are you trying to get your reader to feel at the end of the scene? Compassion, um, empathy for one of the characters, anger at one of the characters, you know, you got to know what you want your reader to feel because it's a reader experience. I mean, the whole reason we write novels is so that readers will experience something. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point, because I think a lot of times when we're writing it, we, we don't really think about that. And that's actually the first time I've heard somebody say that, that you should look at every scene and question what what do I want the reader to feel at the end of it? I've never heard that before. Yeah, because, you know, I've worked on so many manuscripts and a lot of times I finish a scene and I go, I don't feel anything. Yeah, like, why is that there? You know, it's like, like, what happened? They went out to dinner and they had a nice time. Like, really? So what? I don't care. Right, right. (laughs) You know, know, it's kind of weird to think that readers really want conflict and high stakes and tension and all those things. when we don't want them in real life, but we really want them in our novels. Well, it's, I, I mean, a book is supposed to be this, like, this moment in time story, right? Like, this is happening to this person, you know, like, like, we're going to tell our grandkids, you'd never know it. But in 2020, on March 16th, or whatever it was, the world shut down, you know, and you're going to weave a tale, however you want to do it. But yeah, I mean, and and the weird thing is, a lot of times when you get an editor, like a copy editor, somebody that's just trying to clean up your manuscript, they might say to you, I don't think you need the scene. But they're not telling you, I don't think you need the scene because I felt nothing. (laughs) Or like, why did you write this scene? You know, what are you trying to tell me as a reader? Because I don't know what you're trying to tell me. You know, and so I think that's, that's one of the big differences between editing and critiquing, right? Where you're, you as the critiquer can tell that person, put words <laughs> to like, why, why you're, you know, an editor yes. or an agent who it would be terrible for an agent to tell you, like, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't want this book, you know, but. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Cause I gave my, my manuscript lightning man to a very good friend, uh, a literary agent. She's fabulous. She has a hugely successful literary agency. And what I love about our relationship is we're both very honest with each other. (laughs) We work together a lot uh, on different levels. And um, I was really hoping that she would love my manuscript. And she just did not understand it. She didn't understand the genre. She has somebody in her agency that handles suspense thrillers. But she herself didn't get what I was doing. 
you know, I'm writing like an FBI thriller and I've got all these acronyms. She says, I don't get all these acronyms. Why do you have ATF and FBI and all that stuff? I'm like, okay, if you read the genre, you would know that you need to have those acronyms in there. Again, this is all about genre markers. So, you know, and she admitted, she said, well, I guess I don't read the genre. I don't really understand it you know, what you're doing because I wasn't writing a thriller. I'm writing a, a slow burning kind of suspense, right. you know, like the sixth sense. It's very much like Shyamalan's uh, mm. movies, the sixth sense or unbreakable or signs. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've got a troubled character who doesn't know why he's so troubled. There's something in his past that he can't deal with. He can't face. It's very, very character focused. And this plot, it just sort of kind of builds slowly, even though I got bombs going off in the first three, <laughs> big manhunt and a big chase scene and in Mount Rainier with the all with the 50 million, you know, federal agents and stuff like that doesn't really kick into gear till the second part of the book. And she's, and her feeling was like, well, this takes so long to get going. You know, I'm like, well, this isn't like a thriller where like from page one, it's just go, 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 go. go, go." This is a, this is a slow build. And it's all about this character, not understanding that he did something terrible in his past. And it's only when he gets to the dark night moment and the climax that he, realizes what it is and it then it basically kicks his butt you know so yeah so all these things are you know they're all you know you're going to get different people who react differently to what you're writing but you know you definitely want to know your genre and write accordingly because otherwise you're gonna you know people are going to read your stuff and go ah what are you doing why do you keep saying federal Mm -hmm. bureau of investigation why are there FBI agents in here? Well, it's, you know, <laughs> but you know, my, my friend who's an FBI thriller writer, she has more than 82 novels oh, wow. published and she read my book and she said, I loved it. It was perfect. It was great. Yeah. It just kept me totally enthralled. And I'm like, yes, exactly. I needed, I, needed that. I need an agent that can say that to exactly. me. So now I got to find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be easy. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. I've got queries out. I'm waiting. It just takes forever. I think I sent queries out a month ago. So now I'm just sitting here, you know, working on a jigsaw. Oh puzzle. my goodness. I know. Waiting is the hardest. <laughs> no, no. I'm packing and moving actually. So that's That'll okay. keep you busy. Um, but you you also yeah. do some, you do teaching in courses. So you, uh, all those links will be in the show notes for sure. And um, if people want to be in the like actual live critique group that you are going to have in the fall, what should they do? Should they get on your email list or how would they find out about that? Yeah, yeah, that's the best thing to do is just get on okay. my email list, go to liberatethrive.com and then just sign up to get the free uh, book on strategic planning. And also, if you write novels, just click joining my novel writers fast track group, because I have a segment of my email list that's for, just for novelists. Okay. So it like, like I make special offers to the novelists all the okay. time. <laughs> so, you know, they're like my elite group. But I am going to be doing a masterclass in August. I do teach a lot of masterclasses. Um, I'll be doing a four-week masterclass for anybody that's interested. I think it's going to be 375 and four Zoom sessions, maybe two hours long. And basically, people are just going to be submitting two scenes at the very beginning, and I'm going to tear them apart. Oh, sounds great. And we're going to go over everybody's scenes. I'll probably have only eight people in the class. I might do two different class groups because I have people all over the world. So I've got people in Australia and Europe and their time zones are weird. Right. So I'll probably do a morning class and an afternoon class, which I, I did last year. We did a four month critique masterclass and I really encourage people to stick to keep going. And uh, quite a few of the people that were in those masterclasses and critique groups are still in their groups, which is Wonderful. great. 
So I'm always excited to hear it. They write, yeah, we've been still meeting for a year now and we're all just working on our next novels. And, you know, it's so great. It's been really hard, especially with COVID, for people to feel connected, writers to feel connected. And I've been really working hard to get writers connected so they can be in critique groups together, work together. I just started one a couple months ago that I was going to be in. And then I bought a house (laughs) and then I decided to finish my novel. So I'm like, oh, sorry, guys, I set you up. But they're all meeting and having a great time and working together. So the masterclass I'm going to do in August is going to be just four weeks. And we're just going to go over. It's you know, mostly offered to people who've already taken my eight week course. It's really good if you already know that content because you should then by, by then know how to write all this stuff really well. And then in the fall, I'm going to teach again, my 12 week class, which is mastering the 10 key scenes. And for that, you need to have a finished draft or at least a really detailed finished outline, because what I have the writers do is write their 10 key scenes out of order. So they'll write their opening scene, their setup scene, their inciting incident, their midpoint, their dark night moment, climax, and then they'll go back and write their two twists and then their two pinch points. And so those are completely out of order, but it was really interesting because the people that took the class hated it at first. And then when they were done, they're like, oh, this was so, so helpful to just nail those scenes in isolation and just write them because those are the 10 scenes that hold up your entire story. So if people are interested, they can get in touch with me and just say, hey, I might like to take your masterclass this fall on the 10 key scenes. Included in that is they get enrolled in my video online course, the 10 key scenes that frame up your novel. And they have to watch that. Those They have to watch those specific modules the week. You know, like if we're working on the inciting incident, they need to watch right. that module first so they understand what's involved. Yeah, that. that sounds like an amazing way to avoid getting stuck in that middle point. Because I, I've my theory is the middle point is the writer just trying to get to those specific scenes and just not ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not ever getting there. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, can you imagine writing a novel where you start with writing the climax scene? Yeah, That sounds pretty interesting. I know when I heard James Irving. Yeah. I can't remember why I'm blanking out. Oh, the guy who wrote world according to Gar Irving. When I heard him at the book expo many, many years ago, he said he writes every novel backwards. He starts with the last scene, wow. writes the last scene, and then he writes the second to last scene. And then he writes the second to second to last scene. And I've never tried doing that, but it seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, it does. I'll have to try that sometime and see if I can write a novel like that. But with the purpose of that, why that's interesting and why that can be so helpful is that it makes you think about what is the point of my book? Right. You know, what is the point that I'm trying to make? Like if you wrote your last scene first and then you wrote your climax scene, resolution, climax, dark night, those three key scenes that you have to have. That can inform the entire novel leading up to it because all of a sudden you're going, oh, now I know what happens at the end of my story. So now I can work back to the beginning and work to how they, that character got there. Yes. Uh, so that's, it's kind of. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. That's pretty amazing. I, I might. I should teach that sometime <laughs> too. Just do a course. That. Writing backwards. Let's start with our last scene and work backwards. And then we can all just get really weird. But I mean, even writing your conflict scene, I mean, most that's. A lot of times that's the one point that most writers know, even if they haven't done what you say and and develop their characters a lot, they kind of know what the characters are at that one point. And they're trying to like start way back and trying to develop this character. But I wonder what would happen if they would start at that point and, and how it would change where they 
start at the blank page at the beginning. Sometimes the beginning can be the scariest as well. You know, how do I get them? Yeah, there? sometimes you end up rewriting your entire opening scene or scenes just because by the time you get done with your first draft, you just go, oh, my novel is really not about what I thought it was going to be right. about. I've never, I have rewritten first scenes numerous times. I did that with someone to blame. I rewrote my first chapter, made it completely different after I was done um, because I realized I needed something very mm. different. And um, yeah, so having that knowledge, understanding scene structure, all your key scenes, all the components you need in your story, like concept with high, you know, a high concept and a you know, conflict with high stakes and a protagonist that has a goal that she's pursuing. And, you know, you need to know all these things because otherwise you just have the story where characters are just kind of rambling around and floating around and they're really just not like, just not doing anything of interest. Right. So I really like what Michael, uh, Michael Haig sums it up this way. Stories are about a character pursuing a short-term goal and that goal is triggered by the inciting incident at the start of the story. So if you watch any movie, any popular type of movie, unless it's sort of like, you know, Gandhi or some life <laughs> story or something, but for your typical movie, regardless of the genre, that's always how it works. It's about one character who's in their ordinary life or doing whatever. Something happens. There's an outbreak. Um, there's a storm that freezes the entire North continent of America. There's a comet coming to to they've discovered a comet that's about to strike her, right. right? It's always, there's some incident that occurs and the premise, the, all a premise is, is that is something that it's presupposed. So a premise is a situation that your character has to deal with. And that's caused by the inciting incident. Your character is just sitting around, but all of a sudden now a comet's coming to earth. Now they have a goal that they, they I got to go save my mom and get her in the underground bunker before she dies. So my goal for my story is to go find my mom and go get her and stick her in a bunker and maybe we'll survive. <laughs> okay. So whatever that is, like the day after tomorrow or whatever that right. movie was about those freeze. I thought that was a great movie. I love those kind of disaster movies. But you know, as soon as that hits, what does he got to do? His kid is in New York in the library and he's got to, he's going to go right. save his kid. He doesn't care how dangerous it is or how stupid it is. He is going to go save his son. And every story really is basically one of five goals, you know, to save somebody or something, to retrieve something, to deliver something, to win something. I mean, the goals are usually very simple. You should be able to, in one sentence, create a sentence, a uh, story sentence, concept sentence for your, for your novel that you can just say in one sentence, you know, uh, like, you know, Lightning Man, for instance, for mine, I haven't even come up with a one sentence story concept, but, you know, just off the top of my head, it's like, um, Justin Mathers is a disabled, um, retired ATF agent who works as a park ranger. And when terrorists start blowing up Seattle and then arrive in the park, he uses his special powers to track them down and stop them before they destroy the city and a million people. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, I mean, you could say that's my plot or my elevator pitch, but you know, it has the conflict. It has the inciting incident when this happens. I mean, normally the formula is you say, you introduce your character and then you say when, and then you say then, because it's this response to the then, to the when, sorry. Um, when this happens, the character does X. And then you mention what the stakes are. What's at stake? Who's the obstacle? You know, um, who's going to try to stop your character? What is in the way? You know, with the, with this, with the day after tomorrow scenarios, like can this character go save his son as this deep, deep polar freeze you know, hits New York and everybody 
is going to die, you know, can he, can he get there in time? Can he save his son right. without right. Um, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. And I, I think what we can get bogged down on as writers is like, but it's about so much more. And like, no, <laughs> well, <laughs> this is really what it's isn't. about. Yeah, and then so many things yeah. happen, obviously, to the character. Or a lot of times they have like some personal resolution or inner change. But this is, you know, this is what it's about. Like, let's just be honest. This is oh, what totally. our story is about. That's what. Uh, yeah. And really, it really should be that simple. You really, I mean, I know people agonize over, oh, I have to put together an elevator pitch, but you know what? It's, that's really, if you can't, then you don't have your story mm. figured out. You really have to be able to say in one sentence what your care, what your story's right. about. And if you can, if you just say, oh, well, the story is just about two people who fall in love. It's like, well, that's not a plot. That's just a, that's a situation or something, but um, you need to be able to give a visit, like a mm -hmm. visible plot, you know, and so, you know, you look at your favorite movies and your favorite books, you can come up with that one line. Right. Like you could probably easily come up with Hunger Games one line, right? right? Yeah. Oh, Katniss Everdeen, when, when the uh, reaping occurs and her sister is chosen, she volunteers to take her place in the Hunger Games. And then she has to face 19 other people who are going to try to kill her and see if she can survive. Yeah. Right. I mean, really simple is the story about anything more. Well, you know, there's a love triangle and there's all this other stuff, but that's not the concept. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So those are the details. Well, I think that everyone should probably go over and find your courses. <laughs> so, I you have that. sold me. Yes. Um, so, because I think like you said in the beginning, we aren't really taught this stuff anymore and I'm not even sure we we have classes where we deep read like this anymore, where we look for that stuff. Um, and coming out of COVID, maybe we haven't really been around other writers that much. So it's nice that you have some of these online and you have a couple where people get together and a place for writers to find other writers who know how to critique and not just say, right. okay, whatever, you know, not be helpful. Um, so I will have all of the links in the show notes because I think you have you have a ton of resources. I mean, just starting at your blog would be one place for people to go and just start. I, yeah, I actually, I actually figured out I have more than a million words of instruction wow, on the blog. That's amazing. That's, that's kind of scary. So, like, you don't even need to go anywhere else. Pretty much. I mean, I probably have written or have had guests guests write about pretty much any topic related to fiction writing. Wow. And you know, there, it's really hard to find things like theme. I I remember researching theme, and all I could find was posts on like theme songs <laughs> or something. I mean, and you think theme is like one of the biggest aspects of a right. book. You have to have themes in your story, obviously. And, and there was nothing written on it. So I decided to start writing a bunch of stuff on it. So a lot of the stuff I write about is things and perspectives that you just don't really find other places because I just wrote stuff that was missing. Right. There's just a lot of stuff missing. There is a lot of stuff <laughs> missing. Yeah. And, and I think it's just because most of us don't know how to talk about it or don't, don't know what it is. <laughs> like, if Well, that's true. And, you know, I only learned what it is, you know, not just because I was trying, I mean, I was writing novels and I didn't know what I was missing at all. And I had no one to mm -hmm. help me, no one to tell me what was missing. I mean, now we're in an age, which is great. We have this information age where there's podcasts and like this, and there's, you know, online courses and there's online workshops. You don't even have to leave your bedroom. You can just stay in bed in your jammies and you can like learn everything you need to know how to be an amazing writer. And I think that's so yes. awesome that we can yes. do that. 
But at the same time, yeah, we do need somebody to look at our work and tell us like, what am I, what am I missing? And that's where it comes in with a writing coach and, you know, so hire me. Um, I do critiques, but I also do coaching and I have a coaching package on cslagan.teachable.com. And I have, you know, I have writers that are, that are my coaching clients right now. And we talk, we do a zoom, you know, once a month or twice a month and I go over their pages. I've done, I do mentorships, which only a couple because they're very right. intensive, which is like, basically you just have me for three months as much as you want. And <laughs> um, So I might go back into doing that with one or two people, but I wish when I first started writing novels over 30 years ago that I had somebody to read my novel and say, you, this is, you're not, this isn't right. good. You're not doing this right. You don't have the structure, right? You're missing this. You're missing that. Your dialogue is this. Um, I don't see any tension here. You're just telling too much, you know, whatever. I just wish somebody had been around to help me because I feel like I floundered for like 10 years right. and it, and it was, didn't help me that I had six different literary agents and they loved my writing and they said I was the best writer they had ever seen, but I wrote very w- unique things in, in u- unique ways. And what I didn't understand was that those are the hard things to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was looking for a Pulitzer. I was looking for, I wanted to like, you know, be brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's really hard to be the one person that's picked out of like a million <laughs> that has the great right. breakout literary masterpiece. I still feel like some of my books are literary masterpieces and I've had, you know, lots of great reviews and stuff like that. But I write, I write a lot of weird books because like I said, I write the books I, I love. I write experimental kind of stuff and I mash up genres. And I mean, I have a book called Time Snippers, which is like based on this Disney um, show called Fluffy Dogs <laughs> that you can only see it on YouTube. And it's about these, these magical dogs that can open doors and go into different lands. And I, I wrote a whole novel, like based on that mixed with the Philadelphia experiment mixed with, um, a wrinkle in time. That's awesome. So I just took like all these (laughs) weird components and I wrote this like really beautiful story that when people read it, they just cry their heart out because it's so moving, but it's about these like stupid dogs (laughs) that are like, I call them time sniffers and they can sniff out black holes and they. They, uh, you know, they have vacuum noses, they vacuum pizza up under their nose, you know, like it's just goofy stuff. But I, I challenged myself to see if I could write a really moving story about a girl whose mom disappeared in a, in an accident and, um, an explosion. And she has to, you know, cross time streams to find her mom who's trapped in a time eddy across the universe or whatever. That's you know? very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So, you know, it's fun to challenge yourself to write really creative, different types of things. But if you're going to do that, learn something right. from it, you know, make sure you really learn whatever genre you're doing, you know, study it and learn it and find those books that you can compare and, and glean from them. So you know what you're, what yes. you're all about. And if you're going to take on something like that, definitely know all of the things that we've talked about, like all of the scenes that you need and the emotional mastery and all of those things, which they can yeah, all learn from exactly. you. So this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, so anyway, I, I just, I, there's so much to learn and there, there's, you know, you could spend your life reading tons of books and taking tons of courses and you won't get anywhere. Right. So that's the one reason I wrote the eight week course because I curated 30 years of what I've seen and experienced as a writer, as an editor, critiquing thousands of manuscripts. And I just distilled it down to like, you got to know these eight things and here's how yeah. you learn them. And the way you learn them is you pull scenes out and you highlight. And this is a technique that I've never seen anybody else do, but that's what you do in my course. I just highlight, highlight, highlight. Like if there's eight lines on a page that show sensory detail on average in your genre, then you better have eight lines on average 
of sensory detail on every page of your novel. Uh, I mean, it's like math, easy math, not the kind of hard math that I can't do, but my daughter who's a mathematician can do, but I can do that. I can count lines and you can too. So, um, it's a really interesting technique. And I, I, I challenge you to learn this technique because once you learn it, you will have highlighters at your ready everywhere you are. And you will be highlighting things because you will start to see stuff that's hidden. That's amazing. And then you'll bring it out. And it's, it's just that's amazing. awesome. Yes. And then, and then you take the mystery out of writing and you can write as many books as you want and maybe become a bestseller. <laughs> so- <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? You can write any genre that you want to write if you understand right, this. Exactly. And that's the point. If you know how to look at a genre and find the markers and figure out what's the what's the writing style, like how much sensory detail do they use, what kind, what kind of language is being used. I mean, you can, you know, you can write like any author you want if you know how to study. That's them. amazing. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for coming on and telling us all. Uh, I think I've learned so much from you. I've actually been taking notes. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and giving us all of your knowledge and sharing with us your courses. And I'll definitely have the links in the show notes for everyone who is interested. Cool. That's great. Thanks for having me. And I, I love helping writers and I love seeing, seeing a lot of writers come to me and just write awful stuff that it makes me want to throw up. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but, but I say that because they go on to write these amazing books that win awards and get movie deals. And they're just the most beautiful books ever, you know, and I don't take any credit. I'm just saying that this is just, they apply themselves to what they are taught, yes. you know, that they need to learn to be a exactly. great writer. And get yeah. that that story yeah. exactly how they probably saw it in their head in the first place, actually onto the paper. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. That's really true. That's what we got to do. Well, thank you again for coming. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.